Well, this, read, this week I read a story about a grandfather who wanted to know how much their, his four-year-old granddaughter knew about it, the Easter story. Came over to their house, saw her play in the backyard with some friends, and uh, pulls the kids together. He says, uh, who, who knows why we celebrate Easter every year? And one of the kids, of course, the chirpy one, she, she chimes in. She says, oh, that's when you go to the mall and sit on the big bunny's rabbit's lap and tell them what you want in your Easter basket. And another kid said, no, 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 no. That's when you get a tree and you hang eggs on it and then wake up on Sunday, there are presents underneath it. At that point, Grandpa gets a little gentle and he says, that's a good guess, but it's really not quite right. And then he looked at his granddaughter and he asked the question, do you know why they celebrate Easter? And she nodded her head with great excitement and it's when Jesus was crucified and he died and his disciples put the body into the grave and rolled a big stone over the opening and the guards went to sleep and on the third day there was this big earthquake and the, the stone rolled away and the grandpa's hearing this and of course he's just beaming. He couldn't believe what he's hearing from this four-year-old. He's so encouraged that she knows so much about the Easter story and then she continues and when the earthquake happened the entire town came out to the grave and if Jesus came out and saw his shadow they knew there would be six more weeks of winter. Now, you know, it's not only Christians who are mixed up, because like in our society, there are two great religious holidays each year. There's Christmas and Easter. That's our culture. And for most of us, actually, when you think about it, Christmas is the bigger and the greater season of the year. It's the time when we gather with our friends and we gather with our family and we sing carols, we decorate trees, we exchange gifts. And Christmas for some is actually the climax of the whole year. Easter, for most people, is just another long weekend. It's a break between the stretch of Christmas and summer vacation, right? And even some Christians view Easter as a second-rate holiday with bunnies, eggs, and chicks. I'll just say it like that. And somehow, we've got our thinking mixed up. If Easter did not happen, Christmas would have no meaning. If Easter had not happened, Christmas would be nothing more than a sweet-sounding fable. The, the tomb is not empty. The cradle makes no difference whatsoever. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then he's really just a misguided Jewish rabbi with delusions of grandeur. If Easter is not true then Christmas is only the story of an obscure baby born in a hick village forgotten some 2,000 years ago. It is Easter, people, that gives Christmas its meaning. And now I wonder what the disciples felt that night that Jesus was arrested. I go back to that time during Holy Week and if they felt as though a sudden, you know, all of a sudden their entire world just changes right before their eyes. As one minute they're enjoying dinner with Jesus, the next minute he's being laid to rest. I imagine them at that moment just shaking their heads, wondering what just took place, what just transpired over the last few hours of their lives. It was a whirlwind. We get the privilege of being on the other side of history. We do. Uh, you know, we, we see as we read the scriptures all the signals that Jesus was throwing to them. You know, quoting Old Testament scripture, explaining the crushing and the rebuilding of the temple, using imagery of his body being eaten, his blood being drank. And we get these things because now we have the whole story. We're fully aware of the, what happens two days later. 
we're fully aware that Jesus would conquer the grave and, and come back to life. And, and we know that days later he would leave this earth and go to prepare a place for us. We sang about it this morning. But to the disciples, on that holy week, that night was their everything. All their hopes were crushed when Jesus gets arrested. Just prior to that, he spends his best hours with his best friends, encouraging them, guiding them how he wanted to live. He washes their feet. He commanded them to love one another. He told them about a counselor who would comfort them, the Holy Spirit. He prayed for them. He prayed for us. And then he walked into the garden, and he was arrested. Right before their eyes, their best friend, their guide, their teacher is taken away for crimes that he didn't commit. And it's this tragic event uh, is taking place right before the disciples. And we know that it's crucial for us all. We know the whole story. We know the ending. We know what transpired over the next few days is what gives us hope. Jesus knew that his time on earth wasn't without purpose, and that purpose was about to be completed. And so when we celebrate Easter, we celebrate the fact that when Jesus was crucified, he goes into battle against sin, and he conquered it once and for all. We no longer need to pay the penalty for our own sins, because Jesus did that for us. Friday was dark and bleak and seemed hopeless to be watching as he's dying on the cross. It seemed as though the world had won. Eventually, he is dead. The disciples are, are in awe in a negative way. It seems like the whole plan has failed. And sometimes, if I'm really to be honest, and even I don't know if you opened your news app, the bombings that are going off in Sri Lanka and the churches and killing, the last I heard was over 207 people. You know, I look at our world, I look at our lives, and, and sometimes I feel this way. I feel this way about sickness. I feel this way about death and disease in our world. Like, really, what's going on? It hurts so bad when you're watching other people suffer, loved ones that, you know, maybe it's your child, maybe it's another loved one. I wonder if that's how the disciples felt watching Jesus being tortured to death and thinking, you know, I thought this was going to end up differently, Jesus. I thought you were going to be the Messiah. We thought you were going to rule. Why is this happening to us? Is this the way it has to be? And even though our lives are full, are full of sorrow and pain and sickness and diagnosis and death and betrayal, Jesus' death brings us hope in the messiness of life. It's a garden cemetery. They dug, they dug it out of solid rock. It's where the Jews buried their loved ones. It was in that cemetery on a late Friday afternoon that they buried the body of Jesus. The Bible mentions it four times, that Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb. It belonged to a prominent figure in society named jo Joseph from the city of Arimathea. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they, they combine to tell us the story, uh, the story of Joseph of Arimathea. He goes to Pilate. He asks for the body of Jesus. Pilate's surprised because he doesn't think that Jesus was dead yet because crucifixion was so hideous. And, and, and sometimes people hung on the cross for days. But what we see in Scripture is that Jesus lasted about six hours. They didn't have to break his legs, which was a common practice to quicken the process of crucifixion, because he was already dead. It was getting near sundown that, that created a problem because the Old Testament forbade Jews to handle a dead body on the Sabbath. And because there's really no time to find a new grave, Joseph volunteers his own. 
Again, the Bible says it was just dug out of rock. We can presume that Joseph meant it for his own family in the future, but for the moment, his plans are put aside. When they take Jesus down from the cross, his body's in bad shape. Obviously, it bears the marks of the abuse that he suffered. He's covered with blood. There's a hole in his side. His face is disfigured. There's skin hanging off his back in tatters. Joseph and his partner, Nicodemus, Scripture tells us they're two secret disciples. They pick up the lifeless corpse of Jesus and they begin to wrap his body with some spices and some strips of linen. We can only assume that they didn't have time to properly embalm the body. Normally they would have sprinkled like about 80 to 100 pounds of spices put throughout linen strips and other types of ground powder and gummy substance. That's what they would have normally done. And the spices and the strips, linen strips together would have wrapped a really tight form around the body. But it appears that they were in a rush. And at the same time, there's these two women following, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. They're following and they're grieving. The entrance to the tomb was low. You had to bend in to get in there. It's dark. It's almost pitch black. It's damp. They laid the body of Jesus on a ledge. They turned to go. When they get outside, Joseph and Nicodemus, they, they rolled a stone over the entrance. The woman sat by the side, watching, waiting. Eventually, Joseph and Nicodemus would leave. Eventually, when the darkness started to come, Mary, the two Marys would have left the garden cemetery as well. And then inside the tomb, it's silent. And the smell of death is everywhere. And it would seem that all hope was gone for those who believed that Jesus was this long-awaited Messiah. When they witnessed his murder on that Friday, and at midday they saw all their hopes and dreams die as well. In pain and fear they experienced on Friday, they, they could not know the, that victory was just around the corner. Bad Friday is a painful reality, but just around the corner from the shadows of every bad Friday is the breaking dawn of Easter. The Bible says very little about what happens on Saturday. We know that Bad Friday and Easter Sunday, we, we, we celebrate that, but that, that Saturday in between, almost nothing is said. At some point, the Romans put a seal to keep the people away from the tomb. Luke summarizes that Saturday, and he said it very simply, on the Sabbath day they rested. But of Sunday... The Bible's very clear. We read in Matthew, late on, on the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards that first day of the week. Mark says, very early on that first day of the week. Luke says, on that first day of the week at early dawn. John says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene comes early to the tomb. The women came, what? To anoint the body of Jesus. They weren't expecting a resurrection. It was probably the farthest thing from their mind when you read the story for what it is. But to their shock, to their surprise, to their confusion, they got to the tomb. The seal was broken. The guards had disappeared. The tomb was empty. And what happened? Nobody could say for sure. Two angels stood beside them and uttered probably the two most powerful sentences in the Bible. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Scripture says that Mary ran, found Peter and John. Despite the, what the angels had said, she, she didn't believe it at first. After the horrific events of Friday, she, it was impossible to imagine Jesus coming back from the dead. When they got the news, Peter and John ran back to the tomb. John gets there first, but it's Peter who goes inside. 
The Bible tells us that when Peter entered the tomb, he saw the linen cloth lying there, the head cloth wrapped by itself. And I think it sort of means that, you know, it's like an empty shell that, you know, whoever had been inside had simply, you know, passed through them, kind of like a cocoon, like after a butterfly left. It was, it was done. It was just the way it is. So this, you read this story, and it leads us to a very simple question. Can a person who calls himself a Christian, never mind a non-believer, can a person who calls himself a Christian ever doubt the resurrection of Jesus Christ? May I present to you that the answer to that question is yes. Now, it may sound odd that I say that to a group like this on Easter Sunday, but the question I think itself is very crucial in asking the why and why does this apply to our lives. Let me put it another way. Suppose that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. How do we explain what happened that first Sunday, that first Easter Sunday morning? And I think that is the question that has fascinated great minds for 2,000 years. What exactly happened? How can we be sure? Are there any explanations? And the resurrection of Jesus is the central fact of the Christian faith. And, it, it, and therefore, when you think about it, it is open to any type of question. Michael Green said it this way. He said, Christianity doesn't hold the resurrection to be one among the many tenets of belief. Without belief in the resurrection, there would be no Christianity at all. The Christian church would have never begun. The Jesus movement would have fizzled out like a damp squid with his execution. Christianity stands or falls with the truth of the resurrection. Once, disprove it, and you dispose of Christianity. Is he right? You know, the New Testament, in the New Testament, there is no major doctrinal point ever built upon the virgin birth of Christ. We, we, we know it's there. We believe it, right? Um, but it doesn't sit there and build this huge doctrine. It's there. It's part of it. It's true. It happened. But it's really not taken out and discussed as much as when you open the Bible and you see how often it talks about the resurrection. That's a whole different story. In every part of the New Testament, it comes up again and again and again. You read the sermons in Acts. You read the sermons the first Christians preached. They didn't mention Bethlehem. They talked about the empty tomb. They never got over the fact that on Easter Sunday, when they went to the tomb, Jesus was gone. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul, he writes and he reasons out loud the resurrection and the implications if it didn't happen. We read it in our own scriptures. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is our faith. More than that, <coughs> excuse me, we are then found to be false witnesses about God for we have testified about that he has raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him in, uh, if in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And then the, those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. And if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all people most to be pitied. Verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And this is precisely my point. The resurrection is the central factor of our faith. It is. Disprove it, and there's nothing left. And that's why, from the very beginning, skeptics and doubters have attacked the Christian faith at this very point. You know, it's not so much the virgin birth, it's not so much miracles, it's not so much his death. The resurrection is the lightning rod. 
And that's why questions are actually welcome on Easter Sunday. This is the heart of what we're all about. Everything we do rests on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. If it weren't so important, no one would bother to doubt about it. But it all begins right here. And as you begin to study the areas of history and philosophy and theology, you come to realize that the core details of Jesus' life can actually be known with great certainty. Scholar Gary Habermas, he developed what he called the minimal facts approach. And this approach lists out the areas of Jesus' life that are universally accepted by all historians as follows. First, it's universally accepted that Jesus of Nazareth died by crucifixion on a Roman cross. Even atheist Bart Ehrman states the crucifixion of Jesus by the Romans is one of the most secure facts we have about his life. The Romans were efficient killers. They would ensure that the individuals who they were instructed to kill would die. Otherwise, their lives would have been taken for the victims in place. Secondly, nearly all historians accept, the, uh, accept that all disciples had experiences that led them to believe the resurrection of Jesus. Most scholars agree that something happened that first Easter Sunday. What happened is where they differ, but most scholars will agree there. Third, the disciples were transformed by their experiences. To the point, as we read on in, in history, they were willing to die for they, what they knew was true. They literally believed that Jesus had risen from the dead and would give their lives for that truth. They could not deny it. Fourth, the resurrection message was promoted throughout the early church's history. Throughout the New Testament, we have what are called creeds that predate our New Testament documents. One of the earliest creeds that we have is found in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-7, which tells of Jesus' resurrection appearances to the disciples, to James, and to 500 witnesses at one time. There's this creedal uh, formulation. Uh, this, this dates actually within a year or two of the events themselves that have taken place. More likely, the creed dates to the very year of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Along with this, you have Galatians chapter 1, 18 and 19. These are early creeds. These are materials that the early Christians would recite. Eventually, it gets into our scriptures. Another, the fifth one is Paul of uh, Tarsus. This guy's a former opponent of Christianity. He becomes a Christian after encountering the risen Jesus. No one denies Paul of Tarsus had some experience on the road to, to Damascus that radif radically transformed his life. But what could have transformed, you know, what did transform this Pharisee of the Pharisees? He was either a member of the Sanhedrin or he was working his way to become a member. This guy was a Jew of all Jews. But he has an encounter with Jesus. And it changed him 180 in a way that we could never imagine. Again, historically, look at James, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother. He's a former skeptic. He becomes a Christian after encountering the resurrection. James disapproved of Jesus' ministry. We see that in John chapter 7. And perhaps in part because it's expected that the oldest sibling would have taken over the family business, but Jesus didn't. Instead, he went on a preaching campaign. You know, he prob James probably felt some great resentment towards Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry. However, his experience with the risen Jesus changed all that. And finally, the tomb was found empty. 
You know, this fact is not held as strongly as the other six, but 75% of historical scholars accept that the tomb of Jesus was found empty on, on Easter Sunday. It's interesting to note that the preaching of the resurrection happened early in Jerusalem. And this is compelling because of the skeptic world uh, all around at that time would have known the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. They would have known who he was. They would have known where it was located. And so because of that, it would have been easy for anybody who had heard the message of Jesus to go and do some fact checks and go back to the tomb. The reality is, the best evidence supports that not only that Jesus lived and that he died, but he also rose again. And all of this raises another question. Suppose we were there that first Easter. Would we have believed or would we have doubted? If we had been in Jerusalem with Matthew and James and John, would we have believed the strange rumors that Sunday morning? Would you? You know, let us for a moment consider the evidence. How, how did the people who knew Jesus the best react to the news of the resurrection? you got to begin with a very simple, simple observation. They were not expecting a resurrection. That was the farthest things from their mind. Forget his predictions. Forget all that brave talk. Forget those wild dreams. They had given up. And the strange fact, you know, who really expected problems? Who was afraid that something might happen? Matthew records that the Jewish leaders and even the Romans had more faith than the disciples. The next day, one of the, the, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again, so give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he had been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate answered, take a guard. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. And so they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting a guard. These guys had more fear that Jesus was going to rise. The believers had no thought of the resurrection. Who were the first people who came to the tomb that Sunday morning? The women. Were they looking for a resurrection? No. Mark chapter 16, 1 says they came to anoint the body of Jesus. They came to finish the embalming process. And what did they find when they got there? The stone was rolled away. The tomb was empty. All four gospels agreed to this fact. The women didn't have a slightest clue as to what happened. They were not looking for a resurrection. An angel tells them what happened. They still don't believe it. Mark puts it this way, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And John says that when Mary left, she found Peter and John and said to them, they've taken our Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Luke adds that final detail when the woman told the rest of the disciples that Jesus had risen from the dead. And Luke says, they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Nonsense, of course. No one rises from the dead, not after three days. No one after a beating and being scourged, after being crucified, after hanging on the cross for six hours, having a, a spear stuck in your side, after being covered and wrapped in a suffering burial cloth, after being sealed in a tomb. No, it's impossible. And then Mark writes, Mark 16, 11, when they heard that Jesus was alive, they did not believe it. 
His best friends didn't believe it. I want to point out that the people who knew Jesus the best and loved him the most had grave doubts, pardon the pun. They believed him to be dead. And they did not expect him to rise again from the dead. At least not expected in that sense of it. And so the evidence that we see leads us to a conclusion that the people who knew Jesus the best, loved him, had the most grave doubts on a Sunday morning, didn't expect a resurrection, and had to be convinced against their own will. This is not your typical Easter Sunday story. Read the scriptures. What convinced them? It was Jesus. The tomb was empty. The angel said he had risen. All that could be explained, but Jesus himself now begins to appear to them, alive from the dead. The same Jesus, the one that they watched die, appeared to them, and they saw him, they talked to him, they touched him, they heard his voice. They looked into his face, they watched him closely. And it was true that Jesus had come back from the dead against all expectations. The truth came home to them. Jesus has risen from the dead. I can't help but think about Sunday, 2,000 years ago, the joy of the morning when Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene outside the tomb. She is distraught with the knowledge that her teacher, that her friend, that her leader was taken away. And then Jesus calls to her, he says, Mary. She turns around and she sees him and she sees that he's alive. Her rabbi is not dead, but he's alive. Two disciples on the road to Emmaus are in mourning, they're walking, they're grieving. They meet Jesus. They don't know it at first, but then they realize he's alive from the dead. The apostles meet Jesus. He's alive from the dead. The message goes out to, that he's alive. That's how they greeted one another in the early church. He is risen. That's the greeting. And using this greeting is more than just an empty tradition. The words he is risen reminds us of the joyous news we celebrate at Easter that Jesus' death was not in vain and that he has the power to overcome death. And so when we say he is risen, it allows us to share this incredible truth with each other. The resurrection of Christ gives us hope for salvation from sin and a hope for our own resurrection and eternal life. Fifty days after, After the resurrection of Jesus, Peter stood and preaches in Jerusalem in Acts. He preached to the very people who Jesus crucified. His blood was on their hands. uh, He says his blood was on their hands. In that sermon, he put these words, you nailed him to a cross, you put him to death, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him of the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Brings us back to our question. Can a person who calls himself a Christian ever doubt the resurrection of Jesus? Yeah, indeed. Because I look and the ones who knew him the best, who loved him the most, doubted at first. Doubters are welcome, people. It's no sin to doubt. And sometimes doubts come not from hatred, but sometimes doubts come from love. The first disciples loved Jesus so much they refused to believe the truth at first because they didn't want to be disappointed. It's like being a Jets fan. Hockey's dead to me, I just want you to know. But there is a resurrection in September, that's, that's the way it is. But our, our disciples didn't want to tarnish the memory of Jesus by believing wild rumors that might not be true. And you can't blame them at all. Love made them doubt. And love made them believe. There was a disciple that we know, his name was Thomas. Somehow he missed 
meeting, that first meeting with Jesus with the other disciples, I wonder personally if he was just so broken, grieving so hard that he went off by himself to grieve alone. When the news came back to him of Jesus' resurrection, he couldn't believe it after all these years, right? Thomas always gets his real bad reputation, but he's no worse than the others. He's no different than anybody else. He didn't, they didn't believe at first. Thomas is the one who says, well, unless I see him and unless I touch him, I'm not going to believe. And we tend to look down upon Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas, but Jesus doesn't. He says, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out his hands. Put it in my side. And then Jesus says to Thomas, stop doubting and believe. Jesus doesn't put him down. He says, go ahead, see for yourself. Make up your own mind, but stop doubting and believe. Doubters are welcome to the open tomb. All that Christianity asks is that people be consistent within themselves. Sift the evidence. Judge the record. Examine the testimony. Then come to your conclusion. It's all right to doubt, but don't let your doubts keep you away. The, the tomb is empty. Doubt it if you will, but the tomb is empty because he is not there. He is risen just as he said. We can't leave the matter there. Thomas bowed to Jesus, and what does he say? He says, my Lord and my God. Then John said this, he writes, he goes, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. No one can remain neutral forever. You can bring your doubts to the empty tomb, but you have to make a choice. We can't sit on the fence forever. At some point, you have to stop doubting and believing like Thomas. At some point, you have to. Either you believe or you don't. And this is Easter Sunday morning. It's a wonderful day to make a choice. It's a great day to stop doubting and start believing. You know that Jesus died. There's no doubt to that. But do you know that he died for you? Do you know that he rose from the dead for you? I don't believe in the resurrection because of anything I can see with my eyes. Everything I see actually argues against it. On every hand, I said earlier, I see death, I see decay. And if you only go by what you see, you're going to end up believing that death wins in the end. But that's not what the Bible says. I believe in the resurrection of the dead because I believe in the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday morning. The Bible says that if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep uh, in Jesus. The band can come up. That first Easter Sunday is the day that changed it all. For Mary, for the disciples, for all of us. For all of us. Not only did Jesus die for our sins, but he rose again, defeating sin and death for all times. And this brings us so much hope. Because through though our lives, look at our lives, you agree with me, we're filled with sorrow, we're filled with pain, we're filled with sickness, we're filled with unwanted diagnosis, we're filled with betrayal, we're even filled with death. But Jesus' death brings us hope in the midst of the messiness of life. And because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we can proclaim the truth that Paul proclaims in Romans. He says, For I considered that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. We have a hope, a hope awaiting us in heaven that is infinitely outshines suffering and pain that we might be experiencing here even today. 
And the resurrection of Jesus confirms that hope for us. And this is our hope. This is what sustains us in times of suffering and in times of doubt. When I remember that, that Sunday morning all those years ago when Jesus rose from the grave, he conquered sin and death forever. It has to change my views of suffering. It has to allow me to trust him even in the midst of my worst day ever days. You ever been there? And some of you are there now. Easter, listen, brings us hope. Hope in the midst of hard days. Hope in the midst of that diagnosis. Hope in the midst of that depression. Hope in the midst of your suffering. I am so thankful that the sun came up that Sunday morning long ago. I believe in the hope associated with Easter. The hope that is, the hope of life that is beyond this life. A kind of life that death cannot touch. But for those who don't believe, there's still a powerful message in the Easter story. Because the bottom line, Easter is hope. When everything has gone wrong, this is the story of Easter. Victory is just around the corner. It's good news that Jesus rose from the dead. It's good news that the devil couldn't hold him. It's good news that death has lost its sting. It's good news that the grave has lost its victory. It's good news that we not fear death anymore. As far as I know, I'm not afraid to die. Not because I'm especially brave or courageous. I know many of you think of that, but it's not, that's not really it. I don't make light of the awesome power of death. I've been there beside people watching life leave their body. But I'm not afraid to die because I know what waits for me on the other side. Jesus has come back and he's told us what to expect. And I don't have anything to worry about. If you hear I die tonight, which is always a possibility, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. But when you bury me, just stick a sign that says temporary residence. That's all you got. That's my one request here. Temporary residence. Because Jesus promised if I trust him, someday I would rise with him. I've staked my entire life on that promise. And if it's not true, then I have no hope. But it is true. And that's why I don't plan on staying dead forever. There's a reason the Bible says the last enemies that will be destroyed is death. Death will not have the last words. And we think we're going to go from the, the land of the living to the land of the dying. No, we are going from the land of the dying, aren't we not, to the land of the living. And for those who today may say, Jerry, I want your hope, I need it. I want to pray for you in a moment. Or you can simply take out your cell phone and you can text the number, text the word soul to the numbers on the screen. That's our pastoral care number. If you have questions, if you want to talk, if you want to, if you just need to walk through this, a person will, will uh, contact you right away within 24 hours and we will work with you and walk with you. You can take the card that's on your seat, fill it out, drop it off, put it in a joy basket or put it uh, at the welcome station as you leave. We will contact you and follow up. But we have hope. Before I go any further, I'm going to invite you all to stand with me. Can we sing the creed? Can we sing a song of hope? Heavenly Father, we just thank you that Jesus who died now lives again. Living Lord, to be born anew in our hearts today, lead us to that empty tomb. Let faith arise and banish our fears. And for those who doubt, help them to believe all over again. Give them hope. 
even if it's a glimmer. And we acknowledge our pain, our brokenness, our wounds, and we surrender to you today. And we believe that a tomb is empty, that Jesus is risen, that you are reclaiming all creation. And God, we want to live in this big story. Give us strength to live as you want us to live. Make this practical in our daily lives as we see every person, great and small, facing the the risen and triumphant judge of all nations. Give us a brokenhearted boldness in the mercy and might of Jesus. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. I'm going to invite you just to sit for one moment. Yeah, give me some background music. I like that. A couple of years ago, we started our Easter offering. And the, the first offering, we, we raised $6,000 for Lighthouse Mission. Last year, we gave, we raised over $13,000 for our daycare. And uh, we're currently in the process of having a daycare move in, and we're doing all the uh, necessary uh, renovations to make uh, this happen. And you'll see that happening in the next uh, few weeks and months. Here's our Easter challenge to present to you this year. We're going to collect money to help the church in Ukraine. I don't know why I'm choking. They want to buy this building to help orphans who have uh, nowhere to go when they turn 18. And so the majority of these children who are in orphanages, once they turn 18, they're literally kicked out, and there's no nothing sustainable within the government that does anything for them. There is no social stuff. And so what takes place is that these kids become victims of human trafficking, of drug and alcohol addiction and crime, etc. Ukraine is the second highest country of human slavery in Europe. It follows Moldova. Ukraine, uh, uh, sorry, so the church in Ukraine has developed an idea to create this transition house to these students once released from the orphanage they can come to this house where they'll have an IT college and so students will have an opportunity to receive an education and training in IT which is actually booming out there in Europe they will also receive at this time basic Christian teaching and they'll be going through the Alpha course and experience love firsthand from people that they've as orphans they don't experience it they're going to be partnered up with a local church and upon completion of a one-year program, they'll be given help. They'll be told, they'll be shown how to, and they will have the help to find a job. And if they wish, the church will help them apply to university and get them to go on in that process. And so they found a building 35 kilometers from the city of Lviv. It has all the infrastructure necessary. It's close to a school. It's close to a soccer field. Um, the building needs to be remodeled. It's at a sales price of $25,000. They've already put a $5,000 deposit on it to ensure that it doesn't sell. Without question, in my conversations this last week, they believe that this project is from God and can impact the lives of hundreds of young people. And uh, we can all play a part in that. You're a mission church. You're a generous church. Will you consider making your Easter offering to Soul Sanctuary and mark it out Ukraine on the envelope? If you are a text to give, you can text any dollar amount to the number that's going to appear on the screen, 84321. And there's a link set up to the account. 
and uh, if you're, it's your first donation, then you just follow the steps. It's that simple. It would be an honor to help them any way we can. That's our Christmas uh, Easter offering. And Christmas, too. It's, it's hand in hand, right? So will you consider doing that? If you're going to write a check, put it in an envelope, just mark Ukraine, drop it in the joy baskets on the way out. Do cash as well. However you want to do it, you can go online, PayPal, you can go to our website if you want to think about it, you want to talk it over with somebody. But it's there for you. That's where it's going. He is risen. Stand with me. In ancient time, the one who blessed, extend his hands for a blessing. Today, here it is. May the truth of Easter, soul sanctuary, may the joy of Easter, may the blessings of of Easter be with you this day and all days. Now go and be the difference maker in our world and live the church. Be blessed. See you next week.